Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I'm Dan Pizzuta, joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar. Rich, here we go. In the Still in the thick of the offseason, free agency slowed down a little bit, ramping up for the draft. Uh, how are we doing today? Good, man. You know, it was nice that NFL took like a little bit of a breather and not a major player was traded since the last time we did this, which was nice. I got to complete a, a move. I'm completely settled in and, and you know, have a, a new location. So it was nice for me to be able to get some things done like that. I appreciate NFL after the, you know, barnstorm blitzkrieg of trading, you know, seven, basically like all pro players when things opened up. Yeah, there, there have been no first round picks traded since we talked. Uh no stars. Everyone uh, apparently happy with their current contracts right now, uh, and until something happens, like while we're on, uh, or on this podcast, and uh, we have to figure out how to go about that. Um, but yeah, so it's it has been a slightly slower time, which, like you said, it is nice. But of course, so we'll just get into like the biggest news that happened from last night is uh, that Bruce Arians is retiring, uh, stepping away from. Um, and the Buccaneers into a front office role, uh, Todd Bowles taking over, um, uh, which is interesting, I guess, surprising, uh, not totally shocking, I guess, with just how Bruce Arians has kind of been talking. Although, like, if you, you know, talked, uh, he was around the, the combine, so he was you know, present at the, uh, at the league meetings uh, this past week. So he was, you know, still doing normal head coaching things. Uh, But I guess they were, you know, just getting all of their, all of the kind of ducks in a row just to make sure the handing over to Todd Bowles was something that was going to be uh, approved by the league. Um, Because with, you know, the Rooney rule, even though, you know, Todd Bowles is a a minority candidate, he's in-house and usually for a normal head coaching uh, job with the interviews, you have to have two external uh, minority candidates who interview. So they were just making sure everything they were doing was complying. So uh, it appears that is the case. So uh, Bruce Arians now uh, stepping away and Todd Bowles, new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what, what were your first thoughts when you heard that? I mean, obviously, like everyone else, you know, it was kind of one of these things like, you know, what was the, was the real story behind the scenes? Like, was there like an actual schism with Tom Brady? Because obviously we had the thing with Brady retiring, coming back. And so was that part of like him knowing that this was going to be the next domino to fall when he announced he was going to come back? Uh, so just that, you know, it's hard not to jump to those things, you know, especially in the Internet day and age that we are in now. But, uh, you know, as, as far as Bruce Arians goes, I mean, he's he is like one of these guys that's like a great like figureheaded coach. He's a guy you root for, but as an NFL head coach, like he's kind of more of a mixed bag, right? Like he's, he does some things that you really like, like the vertical passing game, but then like on-field aggression. I mean, remember this guy two years ago took a penalty to move his kicker back because he thought thought that he wanted to kick from further back. His kicker was more comfortable kicking from further back. Like he does some real sketchy things in terms of on-field aggressiveness, uh, you know, first down runs, things like that. So, I mean, I don't think like it's going to be like a major thing where like losing Bruce Arians is losing like this like holy grail coach. He's more of like a great guy uh, off the field and like as a person. And like he's more of like a team management type of coach, basically, is what I'm saying. I think that's where his strengths lie. Uh, so him staying out of the organization, I still think helps the Buccaneers a lot. But you have to still draw back like what was going on with him and Tom Brady. Yeah, it is interesting. So there <laughs> obviously, were reports that the two kind of you know, butted heads a little bit, but uh, again, like uh, I think even in like 
the actual Bruce Arians statement that that came out. It was like four statements into uh, the release because he had the interview with Peter King. Uh, then the Buccaneers like release release a statement. Then he had a something on Instagram, and then like came out with like an actual statement down the line. He said like, I'll, "Don't worry, like I'll I'll still be around to chew you out when." Uh, you do something wrong on the practice field. So like, that's just kind of like, that's how Bruce Arians is Mm -hmm. uh, as a coach. But, you know, a a guy, I do believe a lot of people are around the league uh, respect. And, you know, I I read his book a couple uh, years ago. I think it was before he was, you know, even in Tampa Bay, uh, I think. And he's just a guy that, and the way he even like framed it, even if there was something, you know, behind the scenes, but I think even if there was like, Bruce Arians is kind of strikes me as the kind of guy who would have, you know, told anyone to, you know, go screw themselves. And I don't yep. think he would retire just because uh, there was, um, yeah, as, as some kind of, you know, schism or, or friction between him and a player. But even the way he framed it, that like, I wanted to make sure like this was still going to be a good roster if I pass it on uh, to Todd Bowles. And that's just kind of the, the guy Arians was. I know uh, like he was big on, and separating, you know, the, having the work-life balance yeah. um, and uh, it, telling coaches, like, if you, like, if you miss something for your family, because like you are staying late and working for me, like, I'm going to fire you, like, go do that. Um, so I think that was kind of just the the type of atmosphere uh, he put around. And I think it, it is interesting that it does go to, um, you know, Todd Bowles now. And I think it's just, when we look at like what the, the Buccaneers are, you know, Bowles since he came over and was the defensive coordinator, like that Buccaneers defense has been you know really good. Um, when he was a head coach of the Jets, it was sometimes hit and miss, and just that overall, like I, I don't know how much we can fault as much as he did with the Jets because there was never a quarterback there. I don't think that a lot of that was his doing. I'm sure he would have liked a much better quarterback um, than like I think he was. You know, it was Brian Fitzpatrick, it was Josh McCown, it was then Sam Darnold. Um, so I don't think he got uh, the greatest shake there. So I'm interested to see like how he looks now with with this roster. Um, and I'm really interested to see what happens on the other side of the ball, because now this is going to be a Byron Lefwich offense. Um, and we'll see how much that changes from like a Bruce Arians, Byron Lefwich, Tom Brady offense to now a Lefwich and Brady offense. Uh, because I think we, you know, we've seen you know, Arians has said that Lefwich was more uh, involved in, in the game planning and uh, some and the play calling over the past couple of years also. But uh, to see this now, you know, fully be a Byron Lefwich offense. So not only does, you know, uh, Arians give the the head coaching job to Bowles, I think like Lefwich really gets this opportunity to, um, you know, run the entire offense and have that, you know, really be his. So uh, I'm interested to see, you know, how much of the the vertical elements is still there. You know, how much of this like was Lefwich running in in Arian's idea of an offense, and how much of it really was Lefwich. And um, I like, I think that's one of the fascinating things because, like, when you look at what you know Brady did, like we've talked about it a bunch coming in and, you know, over his last two years in New England, uh, it's 7.87, a dot 7.53. His first year in New England, it's or first year in Tampa, it's 9.06 uh, and then 8.1 last year. Uh, then getting the ball out quicker also. So like just all of this, the throwing deeper while getting the ball out quicker, um, just really just uh, 
really opened up like what Brady could still do at this age. So how, how this offense uh, looks uh, under just Leftwich exclusively now um, is going to be really fun to see and probably give him, you know, the, the potential launching pad for a, a head coaching job, you know, next off season. Yeah. And we still don't really even might not even see that because of the Brady effect, right? Like it's still right. going to be Brady's going to have such an imprint on what they're going to do as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the quarterback thing, like depth of target, like Brady got to start playing with good receivers again. And it's amazing how like your stats go back up, you know, when you get to actually play with good receivers and, you know, Brady's obviously guys elevated a number of guys that like weren't talented before they played at Tom Brady too. Um, But also when you get to play with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, like those things start to turn around and you get Gronk back. Uh, Hopefully we do get one more year of Gronk too. That's one more domino we're still waiting on in Tampa. Uh, I would don't want to be robbed of another Gronk season. I want to get as many in as we can with Brady. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to respect like what all the, the closing comments Bruce Arian said, you know, about setting up, you know, uh, Todd Bowles and the, you know, the next in line, leaving that roster intact. I mean, he's always been an advocate for minority hires. Uh, you know, they, they've had a, they, he was one of the first coaches to hire a woman on a staff. Uh, you know, he's always just been one of those guys. You look back at like NFL coaching and it's like, why are these guys working 20 hour days? Like why, like, like, yeah. especially for the results we're getting. And it's just like, you know, that work-life balance is so crucial to everything in life. Anyway, anyways, if you're not an NFL head coach and these guys are just basically like driving themselves and killing them. I mean, I saw the picture of Matt rule online with Kenny Pickett and like Matt rule looks like he's like age 35 years now from that span of that picture, probably just from taking a head coaching job and being in like the torment factory of like, trying to get this quarterback situation, right? You see like the, the wear and tear it's had on his life. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you go back to these NFL coaches and Bruce Arians, one of those guys that at least feels like I may criticize some of the decisions he made uh, as a head coach decision maker, but he's definitely someone I feel like got the, uh, the work-life balance stuff right. And as a person, I think that he built a lot of relationships that uh, are going to carry over here and keep seeing on it. And the bucks are going to be fine. I mean, you look at the talent that they have compared to the rest of this division, they're going to walk all over this division. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things, right? <laughs> they, the, the NFC South is terrible. Um, I would kinda... love to see it without Brady, like what, like the, just the slappers only fight because Winston would have been the best core record division. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I think uh, uh, maybe, I think it was in, in the original Peter King article where, you know, Arian said you know, Brady coming back, like kind of is what got his, you know, gears thinking about potentially, you know, stepping back and, and handing the the team over. Um, but he was, you know, originally excited about uh, the potential of, uh, you know, scheming around a uh, Blaine Gabbert or a Kyle Trask. And it's like, man, no one, no one's excited about that. Like you can, don't, don't give us that. Um, but yeah, that, so yeah as you said matt rule now uh longest reigning uh nfc south head coach um man yeah so that's that division is crazy but yeah like you said it's just you just saw the reports too from yesterday that they they might they might force they actually use the word might force a quarterback at six because they don't have a second or third round pick uh i mean this is carolina situation Um, yeah, so we'll, we're going to talk more draft in, in the coming weeks. We'll have Ryan McChrystal on the show. He's been doing uh, some, uh, if, if you've listened to this feed, he did the betting show uh, for us uh, during the season. He's been doing some mock drafts. He has a big board up. Um, 
but we can we'll hit like some draft stuff now because the the quarterbacks we've been talking about them a bunch you've uh kind of done some of your your models looking into how they stack up um i've been looking into some i wrote an article on, on malik willis these quarterbacks are just just not great um and i think that's it, it puts a lot of teams like Carolina in an in interesting spot because they are you know, sitting at six and they, they need a quarterback, right? I think you heard uh, what uh, Scott Fitterer said during the, the league meetings um, that, you know, Sam Darnold right now is in the lead, but like they are going to add someone. Uh, and the question is, when do you do that? Uh, what, what potential like quality of quarterback is there? Because if you, if you take someone at six um, and if it's, you know, it, at that point, it might even be the second quarterback off the board because there are now talks of, you know, Malik Willis potentially uh, going as early as two to the Detroit lions, uh, which is a possibility. So if that happens and now you're Carolina sitting at six, uh, but the thing about just these quarterbacks is, you know, it's just, it, the quality is just it it's not there for from what we've seen um so uh i, I know when like you were looking into you know some of the, the models and stuff that you have and and looking at the prospects and, and how they uh you know potentially look compared to other uh prospects of previous years like none of them stood out right no it was uh, you know objectively just from like the model perspective i mean there wasn't a quarterback that that even in this draft class scored in the 90th percentile uh, which is the which was the first time uh, in 15 years that there wasn't. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's different when like we get to sit back and analyze these guys, especially me from like a fantasy lens. But like to be like an NFL GM and stake like your the future of your organization and one of these players is a tough ask. And I think that the NFL is cognizant of, of this even more than us because we've seen how it, the quarterback position has been handled throughout to this point in the offseason. Uh, you know, we have what, maybe one team, two entering this NFL draft that has an absolute week one need at quarterback, you know, uh, you know, the Carolina Panthers, maybe the Seahawks. And then you have a team like Atlanta who could be building for the future, Detroit building for the future, but none of those teams have to take a quarterback. Like, and, and, and it's and from different from previous years, right. You go to this point last year, I mean, the New York Jets were entered with James Morgan as the top quarterback on their roster. Like we knew they were taking a quarterback and that guy was going to start week one, the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence. Like we do not have a lot of those situations this year. Uh, and I think that's a byproduct of what this class is. Uh, and that's how things have played out so far throughout this course of the offseason in terms of trades uh, and the quarterback movement that we've seen. So, yeah, I think the NFL is, is aware. I would be surprised if we get more than two quarterbacks in the first round, but also there's still QB thirst and like you have the fifth round option, uh, the fifth year option. So like teams in the back end of the draft could uh, first round could come back and try to get in and get one of these guys. But if I'm an NFL GM and like, I actually have to start the clock on a rookie quarterback and like kind of a partial part of my reputation, I think it's really hard to get into bed with one of these guys. It's interesting with the fifth year option, because now that it's guaranteed in the new CBA, I don't know how much of an advantage that is for a team. Cause I think right now we've seen it as more of a hindrance, right? You look at the 2018, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, probably, you know, the, the best of, you know, not the best of, but like the, 
the quarterbacks who, you know, might be okay. Um, but I think you look at like the, the, the three guys really who are, you know, were starting quarterbacks last year and the yeah. fifth year option was, was a big deal. That's Baker, that's Sam Darnold, and that's Daniel Jones. So mm-hmm. right now Baker had his fifth year option picked up, which made a lot of sense at the time. Now that's fully guaranteed. They decided they wanted to go in another direction. They can't really move that contract. And, and again, we kind of talked about this. There, there's a difference between Baker Mayfield right now um, you know, Baker Mayfield at $18.9 million needing to be moved. And like Baker Mayfield at $18.9 million needing to be moved at the end of March, beginning of April, when the rest of the quarterback carousel has kind of already been uh, figured out. Like he would have been moved earlier in the offseason if this had happened, um, you know, at the end of February, beginning of March. But the fact of, of like when it did uh, is really hindering what the Browns could potentially do with him. Uh, you look at Sam Darnold. When we talked about it, you know, when the trade happened last year, they picked up the, the fifth year option, which was guaranteed. That was a completely force error. And now they're stuck with Sam Darnold at $18.9 million fully guaranteed. Um, and, and that that's hurting the Carolina Panthers and they, they have no other options. And now they're in that position where they might have to, you know, overdraft a quarterback at six. You look at the giants with, with Daniel Jones, there's that fifth year option uh, coming up where they need to make a decision on that. And because it's fully guaranteed, they're probably likely to decline it. Um, and because he has not proved enough in his first few years that where that that option and potentially locking yourselves into uh, in that number in that fifth year is something that makes a lot of sense. So with this quarterback group that it is doesn't look particularly great right now coming into the drafts, I'm not sure how desperate teams are going to be even in the back half of, of the first round to like trade back to get that fifth year option. Because if you have a guy who's going to be iffy having to guarantee that fifth year option, just, it, it might be more problems than it actually solves. Um, so I, I'm actually, I'm not sure if that's going to be a big thing for, for teams trying to look up um, it, when you're looking at either like the Sam Howells or the Matt Corrales that are going to probably yeah. be, you know, in, in the, the 20s or, or 30s, if that's where they're taking. Yeah, Ritter's in that boat too. He's the guy that gets steamed. But I mean, I, I mean, like I said, desperation is, is a hell of a thing. And you're seeing this with Carolina, <laughs> you know, uh, and they were one of those teams, like you said, they guaranteed they picked up Darnold's fifth option right away when they traded for him right after the trade. And now they're stuck uh, having him on the roster this year. And by default, I mean, he might, he probably will be their week one starter, right? Like, even if they take a guy at six, I mean, it's, I guess, maybe not if that's the case, but if things are lining up for Sam Darnold to be the week one starter for the Panthers, which means that they've colossally botched this whole situation, if that's the case. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that was benched for Cam Newton, who's not on an NFL roster, and PJ Walker during their year last year. Uh, and I know he got hurt, but like, obviously still played behind those guys, so uh, it's a tough spot to be in. I think the toughest thing is like Detroit, like at two, like you really, is Malik Willis really someone you want to take at two? Uh, he's probably the most intriguing guy because it's just all projection, right? It's all tools, the athleticism, the huge arm, which kind of like follows suits. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in terms of like deep ball rate and deep accuracy, but like playing the quarterback position is still such a project for him. Uh, you know, in the, in the consistency of just being able to operate an offense. I mean, he's also one of the guys that's, uh, in terms of taking sacks has been one of the worst in this, in this draft class. And you're talking about a guy who had all these problems at Liberty, not at North Carolina, not at Mississippi, not at Pittsburgh, you know, not at Cincinnati. Like, like you know, this is, this is still a, a huge project and it's a huge reach. 
I still think if like Detroit were, were to take him at two, if I'm not, if I'm Brad Holmes and the Lions, I'm going to kick the can on this thing. I understand you say like, oh, you take your quarterback when you can uh, or trade back. And maybe they can trade back. There's a couple of teams I think should trade back. Obviously like the Giants are a team that should trade back if one of these teams want a quarterback. But, uh, you know, that doesn't always exist for everybody. So, I mean, if I'm the Lions, I think it's really hard to, to, to really sink down and say, yeah, we're going to take Malik Willis at two because that means he's your franchise quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming around to it. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of – if there was a swing I was going to take, like, and I'm one of these teams that had to – felt compelled to take quarterback, uh, I, Malik Willis I, is, is the guy you kind of have to swing at. Right, because he's the only, he's, guy. <laughs> he's the only guy that kind of has the traits, and and I, I think the way and when I like wrote about it, wrote about Malik Willis uh, for the site, which is uh, you can you know find it there. Um, you, I think we're getting to a point in the NFL with these like alien type quarterbacks where you can live with some of the inconsistency if they have the ability to hit enough big plays uh, that, that it kind of makes up for it. Right. And I think Malik Willis is, can eventually be that guy, right. It is a lot of projection. Right. And I think when like wrote about it, one of the like lowest on target rates uh, on intermediate uh, passes that like we've ever seen, it was like 45%. uh, And that's terrible. Uh, But the year before it was 75%, which is actually like, would be pretty good. Um, among like quarterbacks over the past the couple of years, um, you have the big question of why that dropped so far. Um, and the same thing, even for his on-target rate uh, on like deep balls, um, was still pretty good this year, but also had drops from from 2020. So there was a bit of a decline. You kind of you know that's concerning, but because he has that arm, because he has that ability to push the ball down the field and he can be accurate enough there. I think that that gives you leeway and especially with his legs. Um, and that is, I think you can, you can build an offense around that. And I think when you look at some of the successful offenses, right? Like you look at, you know, he's going to get a lot of comparisons to Josh Allen. And I don't totally think those are like he's not really Josh Allen, but when you look at what Allen was able to do, especially like these past couple of years, when pushing the ball downfield, he's still not the most accurate down the field thrower, but he gives you that ability that a deep ball is always a possibility, right? And I think when you look at like Detroit and Jared Goff or D- Jared Goff in the the Rams offense, like the deep ball wasn't always a thing. Like they could not rely on like Jared Goff just dropping back and throwing it deep all the time because those just weren't going to connect. So those passes had to be completely like really well schemed open in order for it to work. And there were like one or two of those a game by the time Goff was was done with the Rams. Then you bring in Matthew Stafford. Stafford wasn't the most accurate player on these deep throws last year, but because he has the ability to like, that is a possibility and you have the ability to have those type of plays at your disposal whenever, like you can miss on a couple. And as long as you hit on, you know, one or two or, or even three, like with in Stafford's case, like you can build an offense, a sustainable offense around that. Patrick Mahomes is not the most accurate on a throw to throw basis, throwing deep, right? But he has some of these incredible throws where it's always at his disposal. So you can build an offense around that. And I kind of think Willis has that type of, 
capability. Again, that's a lot of projection, but if you're building an offense around that, you want to bet on something. He's the only guy in this class that has that, I think, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and you brought it up a lot during the season last year with Josh Allen about just how even volatile he was last year on a play-to-play basis. And, you know, just when you have the spades, though, it's your offense can still win. Uh, so he's the, he really is the, the only guy. I mean, I have a hard time still getting there at two. Uh, but also, I mean, I don't really have the – I'm not deep in the weeds and looking at what, like what we're looking at down the line, too, for next year. Maybe they feel like they do have to make a move uh, to do this. Like, it's a situation like Carolina, like, they're a lot more desperate. Like, Matt rolls in year three. Like, the clock's really – like, it's – they're up against the gun. Like, the, you know, Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, they've got, they've got a lot of leash here still. Like, they don't have to force the issue. Uh, you know, so – yeah, it's one of those things to see. And then, you know, you have Arthur Smith. Like, he probably bought, bought himself a, a little bit of time. But, like, at what point are we at the point with, like, the Atlanta, too? Like, eventually they have to they have to get in. Uh, Ron Rivera with Washington, too. Like, the, we're, like you're going to have to make a choice. Like, you're going to have to do this eventually. Uh, so, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, your hands are tied. And having your hands tied in this draft class feels really sketchy, you know, especially outside of Willis who at least offers that kind of, you know, upside. Cause the other, the rest of this class takes a lot more projection to get there and they don't have the, the, the spades that Willis has, uh, you know, especially when you talk like, I don't know how we got to the point where Kenny Pickett is like universally the QB two in this draft class. Like I, I, maybe he's not for people's boards, but I mean, we have a guy that was, he needed a fifth year breakout, uh, you know, at Pitt. Uh, obviously the hands thing that people are going to talk about, but also the hands thing, there's some merit to it. The guy had 37 fumbles in, in college. Like we've seen this be a problem. Like team stocks, some of this stuff, um, you know, and you look at like him for his accuracy, like his issue too, is like, he's one of the worst uh, quarterbacks, this draft class under pressure, uh, you know, career completion rate, you know, interception rate are all like subpar or like right near 50, the 50th percentile. And like, you know, we see him universally just like locked in, uh, even with these red flags, he's glaring red flags. And he's at universally the QB two in this class, uh, which is kind of puts everything in a, in a nutshell for me about this class. So, yeah. So the, the thing with Pickett is like, it tell me where he like stands out, like what is his defining trait? And I just like, don't really know what that is. And you're going to have a hard time talking me into someone in like the first half of the first round. Uh, if you you know, can't really tell me his defining trait, like I, he's not like the greatest processor in the world. The one place where he does stand out is in like the, the short area accuracy, um, like within one to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He was one of the best. It still stands out like, um, among like last year's draft class, if, if you compare them, um, where he like profiles, like, and, and I don't think they're very similar, like aesthetically as players, but like he profiles very similarly to like Davis Mills last year. And like, I can kind of see that. So like you can maybe build an offense around that to be okay. A little bit like, uh, over 50% of Davis Mills throws last year came uh, between one to 10 air yards. Um, he had like some decent games where the Texans just lived in that area, but there's a difference between like having that guy come in as like your what third round pick. Right. Um, and maybe seeing if that works and like maybe taking Kenny Pickett at six, who gives you like the same thing. Um, so like that's that's where he wins, but like that's not where you're going to sustain an offense uh, in in the NFL like that. You you need more of that, and like there were just 
you know, watching Pickett more is just like, man, I, I tweeted the other day, like my, my biggest takeaway from watching Kenny Pickett is how good Jordan Addison is, who's uh, the wide receiver who was, uh, I believe, a sophomore last year. Um, and he was like, Jordan Addison was either like wide open for Kenny Pickett or he was like completely bailing him out. There's, there was a throw at the end of uh, the game against Virginia where um, the pit was up by like one score. Maybe it was like four points. Um, and Kenny Pickett was pressured. He like rolls out and he underthrows this ball to Addison, uh, like rolling out as uh, Addison was like running from the slot, running like a little like looped out. And the corner was all over it, ready to undercut it. And Addison uh, just kind of jumps in front of the corner, picks, uh, catches it, and then breaks the tackle and runs for a 62-yard touchdown to, to ice the game. So, like, the wide receiver took a, what was probably likely an interception that could have potentially, like, lost a uh, pit the game late in the year uh, because they would have been able to to drive to potentially either, play, I think, tie or, or take the lead. And the receiver just turns it into a, a game ceiling touchdown. And like that, those are the kinds of things that like really concern you. Um, I, I think more than like some of, you know, like Malik Willis's inaccuracy, because I, I think you can, you know, still, you know, work your way around kind of teaching Malik Willis how to uh, play quarterback a little more um, because he, he has those outs. And I just, I don't think Pickett does. Um, so that's, that's why like, I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't use a first round pick on him. Um, so for him to be like QB one on some people's boards uh, and like rumored as uh, like a potentially top 10 pick, like that's, that's where I'm starting to draw the line. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, and it's just a microcosm of this class, I think. And, you know, it's a, it's a situation that some of these teams are now in, but uh, you know, some of these teams also have the leeway if they take some of these guys. That's the other thing with this class is like, you know, even if like, say a team like Washington takes a first round quarterback and they have Wentz as a bridge, uh, you know, we don't really see that, right? Like, it's just going to be a clock ticking. Like when Wentz has like a string of like two bad games, it's just gonna be like, well, when are we starting the next, when are we starting him? When are we starting? It's very few and far the situations where you get Jimmy Garoppolo from last year on a team that's winning games or Alex Smith in 2019, right? Like, if you take one of these guys in the first round, like you have to walk in with the expectation, like even no matter the perception of how you think you're not going to play this guy and give him time, he's going to end up playing. Um, especially when you talk about teams like Carolina and Detroit and, you know, potentially Washington, like, you know, Atlanta, like if Atlanta takes quarterback, like Mariota's definitely not going to make it the whole year. There's going to be, they're just not a good enough roster. They're going to lose too many games for the head coach and the organization and the fan base to say like, well, why aren't we just playing this guy? Like, why, why are we just getting him in now? Uh, and that's kind of what's accelerated the clock on a lot of these guys and why rookie quarterbacks are playing more early and more often than ever. So if any of these teams think that they're going to use this out that they bought or this perceived out that they bought, you know, in this offseason, um, I don't think that that really exists either. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially like so we've seen the barrier for like competent quarterback play is probably it's slightly lower than it's been, right? It's easy to get competent yes. quarterback play. Um, but I, I think that also, you know, plays a part into having these guys in the first round. Like if you can get competent quarterback play from, you know, uh, someone you sign as a free agent, like you can get probably Marcus Mariota uh, on that, you know, what, like two year, $8 million or $16 million deals, $8 million a year. Um, like you could probably get competent quarterback play out of that. So you don't need to, you know, take a swing on someone who's 
possibly, you know, not going to be good, especially have that, you know, high draft capital in there. So I think the, the way I'm looking at first round quarterbacks right now is like, you either have to have just that insane kind of like freaky arm talent that makes you potentially special. And I think, you know, where you stand on Malik Willis there, I think he probably does have that, um, you know, but like we, we've seen it in like the other guy, like the, you know, that's, that's the category where they're obviously not the same quarterback, like you said, but you know, the Josh Allen's and the Justin Herbert's, you know, the fall in there where like, they just have the ability to make a play that other quarterbacks don't like, or you need to be just so good at processing that it takes over like everything else. Like Burrow is absolutely like in that category, um, right. Where, uh, he doesn't have like the strongest arm, but he's so good at just like processing everything pre and post snap that he's there. Like, I, I think like Dak is probably like there too, right? Not the strongest arm, but, but the processing is there. And so it, it, you either need to fall, I think in one of those two categories to be uh, a really successful NFL quarterback right now. And like, I just, I don't think like the rest of these guys like are in there, especially like the guys that, that don't have those traits. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in this quarterback class. Like I think maybe like Desmond Ritter, I think is, is the closest to like being in that processing kind of area, but I still have like concerns there. And I feel much better with him at like the beginning of round two uh, than I do like somewhere in the first round. So I think like that's, that's just uh, where I'm falling on, on this quarterback class and just kind of looking at, you know, quarterback play in general and how you approach it to be successful at this position. Yeah. Is he like your favorite non Willis guy then? Like you just like Ritter round two is your, is your choice if you're, if you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Like I just kind of feel like, I'm at a, a place where if I was looking at that, I just might not take any of these quarterbacks mm-hmm. like where yeah. they like will be taken. <laughs> um, it just it kind of falls that way. Like I, I would have a, a certain way ranking and like a Ritter would probably be my quarterback too, mm-hmm. I guess, if I was you know doing it right now. But um, it just if I was, I don't know if I would be putting the draft capital in where well, say any you're of like these Washington, guys like, would be right? taken. Like, you, you know, you, you bypass 11 but you have pick 47 and you have once to us. No, you can get out with no dead money after next year. If you need to, like, is that a spot you would take a quarterback if you're Washington? Yeah. I think, you know, like if Ritter's there, sure. If like, I'm still betting on like a Sam Howell or a Matt Corral there, I, I don't think so. Cause I just don't like think they, they just, especially like, they, they don't have like what I'm looking for as, mm-hmm. as a quarterback. Uh, you know, I think like Sam Howell just kind of just all over the place. Um, I remember like, even when he was supposed to be good, I remember like watching Diami Brown uh, <laughs> last year and just being like, man, he would be so much better with like some better quarterback play. Uh, like there were some plays left on the field and I think he like regressed in, in 2021. Um, and then Matt Corral just like, if, if you want to like say the Miami Dolphins offense last year was the, unwatchable because of like the RPOs and like Tua didn't really like a play quarterback. Like that was Matt Corral, like to the extreme in, in the old Miss offense. Um, like that entire thing was RPO'd up. Um, so well, I think like he has a lot of projection to, to go forward. Like, I think he has like some traits, but he like barely played quarterback and wasn't super accurate, like while doing it either. So 
yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough class. You have to, you know, be in that spot, but like you said, like there's not a lot of teams that are in there, so they don't have to force themselves into it. And we still like, we do have Baker Mayfields, um, who could potentially be available. We still have the, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, which like we kind of talked about it, what, like two weeks ago that Garoppolo might be like this guy without a seat in, in the musical chairs here. Um, and it, it would like, when you know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have both like said uh, there's a possibility that there is a place where he's on the roster in 2022 I I find it really hard uh, to believe that just because of Damn. the cap hit like you you have to have Trey Lance playing because of like you have to get the most out of that rookie contract um you can't have this guy like going into year three and like never playing. Um, and, and you also can't have like a, a $23 million backup. Like that's, that's just, that's a tough thing. And especially when we look uh, today right now per the um, NFL uh, PA uh, salary cap report, as we look at it on Thursday morning, the 49ers are $857,000 over the cap. Uh, so they have some moves that, you know, it needs to be made. Um, and they also have major extensions that they need to have happen between, yep. uh, you know, Bosa and Debo Samuel. Now, I guess, has played his way into at least commanding a salary. I don't know if he'll, he'll get it, but if I was Debo's agent, I would absolutely be hammering, hammering, uh, the, the hammering down that he gets paid a uh, top dollar. That 2019 rookie wide receiver class, I wrote about it with Washington, you know, needing to try to extend McLaurin. You've got Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, uh, Debo, like all these guys are up for extensions. And, you know, you almost want to be to the front of the line of those extensions with the way this wide receiver money has been kind of thrown out. And uh, the other factor too, you can't keep Rappel, I believe on the roster is because you, you can't have Lance playing at this stage of his career with one eye over his shoulder. Like he needs to have, you can't, and, and for the locker room, you can't have Lance look, having to every time he throws a pick or makes a mistake saying, Oh, is Garoppolo going to be, is this, is it going to push it closer to him? Or if we lose two or three games in a row, and then you can't have the locker room divide, right. Where the, you have the locker room saying like, man, we've lost, lost like three games in a row. We've got this dude here that can play and win us games. We've already seen it. Like there's a lot of layers here to where it just doesn't make sense to have Garoppolo on the roster. And I get the top down view of just saying like, well, we have two cable quarterbacks. Why wouldn't you want that? But there's a lot of layers in here too, that I believe just doesn't make a lot of sense to have Garoppolo end of the season on the roster. Yeah. I mean, they, they free up 25 and a half million dollars. Like as soon as he's off the roster, like right now they do that tomorrow at 25 and a half million dollars, uh, hits the the 49ers cap which again allows them to you know get some extensions there's you know not a lot of the big free agents available but like that could potentially like they still have the ability to you know bring in some guys it's it's not too late um you know it's how that quarterback position plays out right uh you know it specifically is uh, i think that that if like if that happens before the draft too, right? Um, we could potentially see one of those. Like, does Carolina decide that you know Jimmy Garoppolo is is the better option? Like, I'm not totally. I don't know. Is I, and I like I I would feel better if uh, this was still like a, a Joe Brady offense and like uh, I mean, we talked about that when when it happened, but uh, not totally sure what like the Ben McAdoo version of this this offense is um he went to the bills like if, right joe brady wins the bills yeah he's the quarterback's coach of the yeah, bills that's um, awesome. good for the bills 
yeah, that's that's exactly where <laughs> like you want to like rebuild your career if you have to. Um, but like so, like Ben McAdoo had some like okay ideas as the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, uh, complete disaster as a head coach of the Giants. Um, but like they did some like good spread things, like helped Eli Manning. Uh, they were very heavy uh, eleven personnel, which I think is going to make sense with what the, the just the the Panthers, um, you know, current personnel groupings there. So you know maybe having Jimmy Garoppolo makes them interesting. Like this was a good defense last year. I think if they oh, had yeah. any any decent quarterback play uh for the Panthers like we think this team is kind of a disaster but it's kind of because the quarterback was so bad right the, right. the defense was one the of the best in the month, league for like the half first yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh, especially like that defense that defense was one of the best in the league for like the first month it kind of fell off to like average by the end of the season, just because of like the stress that was put on that defense by having such a bad offense. Um, but maybe Garoppolo makes sense for them. And in a bad NFC South for like a, a team that probably, you know, needs to look competitive uh, this year uh, for, you know, people to be keeping their jobs. Like I th- Garoppolo might, I'm talking myself into Jimmy Garoppolo in Carolina, uh, right now, like kind of making some sense for making the Panthers be at least competitive, which I think they possibly could. Like you have, you know, like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, like in the middle of the field with Garoppolo, that works, I think. I mean, I could see it. The NFC is, is, is you, you can get in at the back end of it. There are seven teams are going to make it from the NFC. You can definitely get back in at the back end. They have to, by, by rule, seven teams in the NFC. By rule. Have to make I mean, because I've even kind of like kicked the idea around like, man, the Saints aren't going to be as bad as everyone think they are, right? Like, like It's like looking at the landscape and it's like the Panthers definitely view, why can't they channel some of what they had in the first month of last year? Like it definitely can exist. I'm not to that degree to where it's like unsustainable. I got on defense, but they've got capable talent all around. If they just get, like you said, that, that, that just borderline quarterback play, if you just get baseline quarterback play, you have a puncher's chance, especially in the NFC and then in the NFC South. Yeah. I mean, that's we're we're going pretty, you know, far into that, but uh, I think uh, Robbie Anderson was, was just uh, on Twitter. <laughs> I, I believe this morning uh, recruiting, um, <laughs> players uh what was let me what players are you recruiting let me put uh just ed, anyone <laughs> any anyone current, anyone anyone that wants to play all current nfl free agents who are looking to win and build and get paid uh get at us at panthers so nice. uh robbie anderson just throwing out a general recruiting pitch to anyone <laughs> looking to to get paid uh and play with the panthers he's a treasure um, though and Robbie Anderson's great, and yeah. um, and and again, like so, the Panthers, like because of the, again being in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, have thirty million dollars in cap space. Um, so if they did want to bring in a uh, Garoppolo, they could. If they want to make some other, you know, splashy free agent moves, um, I think they they potentially could. Um, you know, we we were kind of talking. There's still a. You know, they lost this on Reddick, like a Jadavian Clowney uh, is out there. Tyron Matthew is out there. If they just want to make that defense, like just keep loading up on players on that defense, because that it seems like they, they have talent there. And that's like where they can kind of, you know, scheme around if the offense is still not going to be as good as they would like the offensive line kind of, you know, they've, they've brought in, you know, some players mm-hmm. that have been okay, like outside of what they've done at quarterback. 
like this has not been a terrible off season for, for the Panthers. So I think they've, they've done some smart things. Um, so I just, I don't know, man. I, like they brought in uh, Xavier Woods, uh, like at, at safety, I'm just kind of looking at, at the roster. Like it's, it's okay. Just, I think we look at this, this team and like we, the quarterback play was an absolute disaster. So but that really shapes how we feel about that team. But if you were the one that, voice of reason, me and TA were on their win total last year and, uh, it should have happened. So I still, but you were the one saying, Hey, it, you got what you guys are saying is all correct, except for Sam Darnold. It's awful. Uh, Man, no, no one wanted to believe in the Carolina Panthers more than me last year. And I just, I couldn't do it. Well, right now, I mean, uh, projected win total of six. Feeling good about that over. Not if Sam Darnold's the quarterback. <laughs> Fair enough. What if it's Kenny Pickett? You feeling better? No, I do, I do not. Um, yeah. So like that, that's kind of where we are. It's we're, we're in a holding pattern here with, with some things as you know, free agency has kind of died down, but like we said, there's, there's still some very interesting, uh, players still left on the board. I think you look at, uh, I think we'll, again, we'll, we'll hear some Bobby Wagner news. I, I don't hear, I don't think that, you know, really moves the needle for whoever signs with him because the last year was, was kind of rough. Bobby Wagner, like one of the best coverage off ball linebackers like of all time. And just last year was, was not it. So uh, maybe he bounces back a little bit. Um, you know, he said, you still have uh, Jarvis Landry. still have a Tyron Matthew um, against some, some of these names matter more. You know, Stefan Gilmore is interesting because, you know, he was very good in the limited snaps he played um, last year. So there's, there's still some moves to be made um, in free agency. So we will, you know, continue to, you know, monitor that um, as we do, because I think there, there's still some, some impactful things that that could happen over the next, uh, you know, a couple of weeks and we'll be monitoring that uh, we're, you know, straight ahead to the draft. We're currently uh, writing up our, our, uh, team needs by team. Uh, we're going through the rosters, looking at what is currently on the roster, what kind of needs to be shaped up, or what the draft capital for these teams look like. Um, so we are, while you're listening to this, we're through the NFC East and the AFC East. Um, so you can find those from, from me and Rich at sharpballanalysis.com. You can find all of our draft coverage. We have mock drafts from Ryan McChrystal and Brandon Donahue. Um, Ryan McChrystal has a, uh, a big board up right now with his top 32 players. Uh, that'll be expanded to a top 50 um, in the next week or so. Uh, we'll, we'll get him on, on the podcast to talk some you know more in detail about some draft things as uh, that is like just a couple weeks away uh, at this point. So we're, we're flying through the off season. So we will uh, end the show here. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you guys for listening. And we will talk to you again soon.